the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the radio broadcast ministry of Kettering Baptist Church, where we minister in the spirit of excellence under the leadership of our anointed senior pastor, Bukas Sterling III. Please stay tuned at the end of this broadcast for information on how to obtain a copy of today's message in its entirety. And now, Pastor Sterling. I want to invite your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll begin our reading at verse 14. God's word reads as follows. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has the believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Amen. When we began this journey in a series of messages, Summer Revival for the Modern Day Church, we began in Acts chapter 2, speaking from the subject matter, remember we need the Holy Spirit. There is absolutely no way, modern day church, that we can be effective and powerful and do what God has called us to do without power and presence and the dependency of the Holy Spirit. Part two of our series began in Acts chapter 3. We spoke from the subject matter, reviving the reputation of the church. We were clear and we understood that the church in the world has a bad reputation, but we want to assure that we revive the reputation of the church, that the church knows that there is a difference and that this is a place of refuge and a place that they can come. Well, last week as we were together, we went in Ezekiel chapter 34, and in Ezekiel chapter 34, we spoke from the subject matter, Revive the Shepherds. And as we addressed the shepherds, we wanted to address those who have leadership over others. And as we saw in Ezekiel, the problem was, first and foremost, as God accused the shepherds, that they did not feed the sheep. They were feeding themselves. Secondly, they did not tend to the needs that the sheep had as a shepherd ought to. And thirdly, he accused them of scattering the sheep. And he says, as a result of your negligence, you've scattered the sheep. And the problem God had with the whole thing was nobody was looking or searching for his sheep. And so he encourages us uh, to turn back and be good shepherds, as the good shepherd is. And if we do not, and if we fail, then the good shepherd will be against us. And he will remove from us those who he has entrusted us to shepherd. On this morning, I want to talk to you from the subject matter, come out and be separate. 
Paul lovingly pleads his case to the Corinthians through the validation of his apostolic ministry and his love and his care and sincerity for them. And he says to them, I've been open with you. I've been tenderhearted with you. And in the same way, I want you, Corinthians, to be open to receiving the message that I have for you. I want you to be open to changing your lives to the extent that you can line your life up with Christ himself and the plan that he has for you. In order to do this, Corinthians, you're going to have to reject and turn away from and separate yourselves from the idolaters and the false doctrine teachers who have infiltrated you. You're going to have to separate yourselves from those who are enemies of the gospel. Well, I realize that the church of today, the modern day church, has so befriended the world We've become so accepting of the world that those who are the enemies of the gospel, by accepting such false doctrines of inclusion, the false doctrines that there is no total depravity of man, false doctrines that say that somehow we can be equal with God or that we can be our own gods, or even to the extreme to say we have right to rule ourselves and we'll check with God later. Well, because we've adopted all the principles of the world, now it's difficult to tell the church from the world. So as we try to initiate revival in the modern day church, I come to encourage us to come out and be separate. There ought to be a difference between a child of God and a child of Satan. And there ought to be a difference more than just in the spiritual realm. There ought to be a difference in the manifestation of how you walk and how you talk. You ought to know the difference between someone who loves God with all their heart, soul, and mind, who has turned their life over to him. You ought to be able to tell the difference between that person and the person who has sold out to living for the devil. As I look through these verses, verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Come out and be separate and let there be no yoking between the believer and the unbeliever, is what the Apostle Paul says. In essence, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It is impossible for the modern-day church to experience revival to the true extent that God wants it to be revived to the point where we're on fire for God, to the point where we're praying to God, to the point when there's opportunity to share the gospel, that we share it without fear or trepidation, to the place and point that nobody has to provoke you to worship, to the place and point where we are ambassadors for God, and we know that, we're living it out. In order for us to get to that place of revival, it is going to be essential that we not yoke ourselves together with unbelievers. God has plans for us, and if God has plans for us, and he wants to take us in a certain direction, and we're yoked together with unbelievers like oxen in a field, whose way is going to prevail? If they're enemies of the gospel, and we're servants of the gospel, in order for us to coexist, there's going to have to be compromise. In fact, if you're a yoke with an unbeliever, Either you're compromising, or they're compromising, or both of you are compromising. And the reality is, for the unbeliever, there's no need to compromise at all. And in fact, the reason why it's it's more likely that we're going to compromise, because even though we're born again, we still have a flesh that wants to sin. They don't have a spirit that wants to do right. 
So the unbeliever is not going to compromise to do right because they don't have the spirit of God that provokes them to want to do right. Everything about the unbeliever says, let's do what the enemy says do. Even if it looks like it's right, it has bad motive. And so if we're going to have revival take place in this modern day church, we've got to come out and let there be no yoking. I looked at this idea and I thought about this idea of compromise that we have to struggle through. I believe this is why Proverbs 12, 26 says to the believer, the righteous should choose their friends carefully because the way of the wicked is going to lead them astray. Now, I know, I know what you're saying. No, nah, no, nah, Pastor, I got some unsafe friends. And I'm leading them along. And, and you know, I, Pastor, you know, I didn't write Proverbs, but I believe God knows better than we do. And I believe if God says the way of the wicked will lead you astray, I believe that's what's happening. Now, are you exposing them and sowing seed to them? Perhaps you are. But are they causing you to compromise if you got to be their best friend? Yes, they are. And so they're leading you astray. Your fire can't burn the way it needs to burn because you're trying to compromise to accommodate them. That's why the scripture says, come out. You got to come out from amongst them and be separate, says the Lord. Now, notice this. He does not say, do not have contact with them. Okay? Whew, thank you, Pastor. I get to keep my unsaved friends. He doesn't say don't have contact with them. He also does not say don't interact with them. He doesn't say that. He says don't be yoked together with them. Don't be tied up with them that their actions dictate your actions and your actions dictate their actions. Don't be hooked up, tied up, tangled up with an unbeliever. We as a church, we as a Christians, we can't avoid having interactions with them, and we shouldn't. We've been left here to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God. We've been left here to spread the gospel. We've been left here so they can see that there is a difference. We've been left here to go out into our community to minister to those around us and about us. We, we've been left here for that purpose. So we can't be separate in the sense that we never have any dealings with them. And for the Christian who has isolated themselves from every believer, you're outside the will of God. Because how will they know the truth if you've isolated yourself? You've got the keys to the kingdom, and you've isolated yourself from them, and all you have is saved people around you all the time? Then how will an unbeliever ever know Jesus? What if every Christian says, I'm not never going to deal with and have no association with and never come in contact with unbelievers? Then guess what? You and I wouldn't be saved. So it's not separation to that extreme that he's talking about. He's talking about being yoked together with them like two oxen who are plowing in a field. And the reason why they yoke them together is so that they can work together for one common goal. And if you are yoked together with an unbeliever, the common goal is going to be the goal of the devil. So he says, don't be yoked together. Come out, church. Let there be no yoking in and amongst the believer, and the unbeliever. Then he comes back and he says, for what fellowship has the righteous with lawlessness? What Paul is going to do, he's going to give us five rhetorical questions that are going to draw out most clearly a distinction between the believer and the unbeliever and how obnoxious it is to think that they could be hooked up and tied up and tangled up and yoked together. 
First of all, I told us, come out, let there be no yoking. But secondly, come out, for there is no commonality between the unbeliever and the believer. There is no commonality between Christ and Satan. There is nothing that we have in common. So he asks these five rhetorical questions. He makes it very clear. He says, look, it is absolutely absurd to think that the believer and the unbeliever could be yoked together and work together to accomplish God's plan. It's not going to happen. It's like trying to hook an ox together with a donkey and expect that they're going to plow the field. That's called being unequally yoked. And that's why he uses this terminology of being unequally yoked here in the text. First and foremost, he says, what fellowship, what share, what participation has the righteous, and when we talk about the righteous, we're talking about those who've been justified by Christ to be right with God. What share, what participation, what fellowship has the righteous with the lawlessness? There is none. There's no fellowship. There's no share. There's no participation between being righteous and being lawless. In fact, the lawless means to be full of iniquity, to be in, un in unbelief. Righteousness means I've been set straight and right with God. Unbelief and sin and iniquity have been removed by the blood of the Lamb. So how can there be any commonality between the two? There's no fellowship between the two comes back. He says, secondly, what communion has light with darkness? When we talk about communion, we talk about fellowship. We're talking about coming together. What happens to darkness when you turn on the light? Darkness goes away. And when light goes away, what comes? Darkness. So watch this. You cannot have darkness coexisting with light. It just doesn't happen. You can't have light coexisting with darkness. They have no communion. Light and dark cannot sit down at the same table and eat a meal. Because when you turn on light, dark flees. When you turn off the light, darkness comes. Y'all see what I'm saying? And so he's using all of this to pound home the improbability, the absurdness of it is to have a believer and an unbeliever connected together. Moving on. He says, what part if you will, or what accord has Christ with Belial? What part, what connection has the believer with an unbeliever? None. What agreement, what accord here has Christ with Belial? Belial is a word that is used to ultimately identify Satan himself. When you talk about Belial, it gives you the idea of worthlessness, unprofitableness, wickedness, and ultimately Satan himself. So what accord, what agreement has Christ with Belial? When has Christ and the devil gotten together and hung out and said, hey, let's, let's just go sip on some martinis together? That There is no accord. There is no uh, agreement between Christ and Satan. In fact, everything... Christ says to do, Satan says don't do. They're diametrically opposed. They're working against each other. Satan is always working against God and God working on the opposite direction of Satan. And if a child of God and a child of Satan can hook up together and things work out, something's wrong. It's improbable. It's absurd because it doesn't happen. There is no accord. There is no agreement between Christ and the devil. It just can't happen. I know what you're saying. Well, well we can make it work. Well, in order to make it work, you got to compromise. And what Paul says, no, don't compromise. Stand your ground. Stand firm. 
where you are as a child of God. And then we will be able to see a difference between the church and the world, the Christian and the non-Christian. But if we keep compromising and blending, there is no difference. Why would someone want to be a Christian and y'all all the same? You doing the same stuff they doing. They passing you to drink. Y'all both leaving the same hotel, going back home to your husband or wife. Y'all both in the same club. Y'all getting real quiet. They cussing and you cussing better. Why would they want to be a Christian? He says, no, there's no accord. There's no accord, no agreement between Christ and Belial. The latter part of verse 15, he says, well, what part has the believer with an unbeliever? Do we have any part? Do we have any connection? No. There's no part. This doesn't make sense. We're not, shouldn't have any connection. Verse 16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Do you remember in the Old Testament when they brought idols into the temple of God? What happened? God knocked the idols over. God was grieved when they brought idols in his temple. God brought judgment when they brought idols in his temple. How do you bring Buddha into God's house, lay Buddha under the cross, and then while you're in the middle of that, bring some other ridiculous doctrine of Scientology or, or Jehovah's Witness or, or something else and try to blend it all together and say, we all just the same. No, we're not the same. It's not the same. It doesn't make sense. It's improbable. There is no agreement. There's no harmony. There's no community. There's no connection between the temple of God and idols. In fact, if you really want to watch God get angry, read through the Old Testament and see what happens when they begin to worship idols above him. You will always see God get furiously angry when idols are introduced. So what agreement has the temple of God with idols? The answer, there is no agreement. Come out, be separate. Come out, for there is no commonality between the world and Satan and God and his church. There's none. There's no commonality. Last thing, I'm out of your way. Look at verse number 16. He says, for you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk amongst them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. This is the word that God declares to them. He says, look, for, come out from them. Let there be no yoking. Come out from them. There's no commonality. Come out from them finally and realize who you are. You are the temple of the living God. Let me take you back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament, there was a temple that was built with all specifications. And then the temple, the temple was a place where people came and to worship, but they came to worship in the temple, not for the purpose of the temple. But they came to worship in the temple because in the temple was where the presence of the Shekinah glory of the omnipotent living God was. Now, fast forward 
to the New Testament, and the word here says, you are, you, 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 born again Christian child of God, you are the temple of the living God. I know you think you're a Smith, you're a Johnson, you're a Miller, you're a whoever. But regardless of that standard that name may have given you, you are the temple of the living God. Nothing trumps that. I mean, you might say, you know what, I'm the executive vice president, I'm the, I'm the president of the organization, but none of that trumps. You are the temple of the living God. You are the dwelling place where the Shekinah glory of the powerful, omnipotent God who stepped out of nothing and stood on nothing and called everything to existence, he dwells in you. He doesn't just come on Sunday morning, even though you might act like it on Sunday morning. You act holy and sanctimonious on Sunday morning. You act like you really do have the Holy Spirit, some of y'all, on Sunday morning. But you are the temple of the living God on Sunday Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, even on Friday, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday evening, and Sunday morning. You are the place where the Spirit of God lives all the time. I'm trying to help us get to revival because if I understand who I am, maybe I won't act the way I act sometimes. Maybe if I realize that I am the holder, I'm the cup that the Holy Spirit is living in. And everywhere I go, he's with me. You are the temple. You are the place that God dwells. He dwells in you. He walks amongst you. That's what he says here in the text. They're going to be my people. I will dwell in them and walk amongst them. It is God who walks amongst his people. It is God who dwells from heart to heart and breast to breast. It is God who is amongst us all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He is your God and you are his child. You're not your own. You've been bought with the price. And oh, what a price. He paid for you. <laughs> yes, he did. Let me, let me read this passage in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, oh, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You can't do what you want to do. You are owned by somebody. Holy Spirit, God in heaven has purchased you with his own precious blood. Pastor, how did he do that? He went to Calvary 2,000 years ago with you on his mind when the devil was about to sell you down the river to an eternal hell and destruction. It was Jesus who paid the price to redeem you from the slave market of sin. You've been bought with a price. So therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. If we understood who we are, Revival can explode amongst the saints of God. The devil has fooled you. He has convinced you that you are not so special. If God looked from eternity past and saw you and saw me and thought it, it was worthy enough for him to come and save me, oh yeah, I must be valuable to him. 
I mean, if he was willing to allow the Jews and allow the Romans to whip him and beat him and crucify him, if he was willing to go through all of that, if he was willing to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and tell his father, Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will. If he was willing to surrender to the will of God to save my soul, I must be some value to him. But if you understood who you are, if you understood whose you are, if you understood who's living inside of you, maybe your attitude would change. Maybe your walk would change. Maybe revival would take place. And we would begin to live for the living God. We would be able to uplift holy hands, realize that I am somebody in Christ Jesus. And I am who I am because he loved me. And I am special in the eyesight of God. And I've got the living God inside of me. I've got the omnipotent God inside of me. I've got the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me. Hallelujah, Jesus. If you just knew who you were, if you just knew the power inside of you, then we could come out and be separate and let revival take place. Praise the Lord. You've been listening to the radio broadcast ministry of Kettering Baptist Church under the leadership of Senior Pastor Bukas Sterling III, where we minister in the spirit of excellence. We pray that you have been richly blessed by today's message. Financial contributions in support of this ministry are welcome. We thank you in advance for uniting with us in kingdom building. For a copy of this sermon on CD or to hear this message again on the web, please visit our website at KetteringMinistries.org and remember to reference the title or broadcast date. We hope that you have enjoyed our journey together and we invite you to join us for one of our spirit-filled worship services Sundays at 8 a.m. or 11 a.m. at our new edifice called the Legacy Center located at 6909 Crane Highway, Upper Marlboro, Maryland. For additional information, go to our website at KetteringMinistries.org or contact our church office at 301-574-3515. Please join us again as Senior Pastor Bukas Sterling III and the Kettering Baptist Church family minister in the spirit of excellence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.